Instant cure for social anxiety. Close your eyes and pretend that when you open them, everyone that gives you anxiety disappeared from existence. <laughs> Boom, no more social anxiety. But if that doesn't happen, head over to quietbegins.com and check out a program I created that will help you diminish or even dissolve anxiety. Quietbegins.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools to show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. I almost had that down to a science. I'm sure I'll mess it up every now and then. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to talk about what it takes to allow someone to go along their own path of personal growth and development when you might be a few steps ahead of them. I don't know if ahead is the right word, but you are on a different path. Let's put it that way. When you are around someone that might be in a place that either you've already been or maybe you weren't there, but you have experienced some challenges and you went through those challenges and you're ready to get to the next phase of life or the next stage of your development. And I'm going to read you an email momentarily regarding this, but it does remind me of something that um, happened at the very initial stage of my breakthrough of depression. Like when I was depressed and I was in the middle of it, I thought it would be a great idea to start a new relationship. So when you start a new relationship, when you're in some sort of condition like that, uh, there are going to be challenges. I'm not saying it's not possible. I mean, I did it, uh, but there are going to be challenges. So that was around the time I had a breakup. It was a very long-term relationship and we had a breakup and I wasn't completely emotionally and mentally healthy at that time, meaning I was highly codependent. I was a people pleaser. I would be emotionally abusive toward the people I loved. I had to deal with a lot of stuff that I hadn't yet healed from, um, from the survival and coping mechanisms that I developed as a child in a dysfunctional alcoholic home, you know, growing up. So I had relationships that failed miserably or succeeded, depending on how you look at it, because the lessons from those the relationships are what I teach on this show and what I've used in my own personal development. But anyway, after the breakup of that long-term relationship, uh, probably about six months later, I decided to get into another relationship, even though I was in this depression. I don't know if I called it depression back then, but it was miserable. If you've not heard me talk about depression, the way I experienced it, uh, and maybe you too, is that it's almost devoid of emotions. It's like you've stuffed so much negativity down that it just blocks 
all of your emotions, your happiness, your sadness. What used to give you joy now gives you nothing. What used to make you sad now doesn't make you anything. It's just devoid. It's not even an emotional disconnect. Some people can feel emotional disconnect and still be somewhat okay. This is just, you can't even access them. So that was my experience. I'm sure others experience very similar things and very different things. But with enough suppression of thought and repression of emotions, you may eventually experience depression. So that's what happened to me. I repressed a lot of thoughts over the years and a lot of emotions. I chose not to express myself when maybe I should have. I chose not to talk about it with people when maybe I should have. I had emotions that I was experiencing that I chose not to emote to anyone, express to anyone. And so all of that gets stuffed down. That's been my personal experience of depression is the more I swallow and repress, the more likely depression will begin. So anyway, I was in the middle of depression and I met the person who would become my wife. And about two months into the relationship, after the initial honeymoon phase where I could probably fake it pretty well that I wasn't depressed, after that settling phase, I felt the depression starting to come back. You know, there's a certain amount of bliss or elation that can override this for a little while, even though... You can't experience it fully, but because it's new and novelty to the brain and there's new experiences with a new relationship, you can sometimes override the symptoms, but if the symptoms aren't taken care of, they can come back and that's what happened. So this relationship was starting to settle. We were getting into a good groove, but now here comes my depression and night after night, she could sense it. She could see it. She knew I was morose and and I was just down and out a lot more than I was happy. And this is a new relationship and she's thinking, you know, here's this guy that I met that I want to enjoy my life with. I'm I mean, this is me putting words in her mouth, but I'm happily and bubbly and energized and energetic and this guy is just like a turtle. <laughs> He's just slow and down and I believe she was thinking, he's bringing me down. I don't want to be in this down state. So she said to me one night, you know, um, I love you and I love being with you and I think we have a great time, but, you know, you're in this state and I can't be in that state with you. I don't think she used the word state, but, you know, you're in this place inside and I, I can't connect with you there. I'm on this other plane of existence and you're in this lower state, this very low energy state. And I don't know how to reach you. I don't know how to connect with you. I don't know how to be your partner in life if I can't even be on the same wavelength with you. So she was definitely not experiencing anything like depression. She was on a, she was right. She was on an entirely different wavelength and I was in this lowered state. So she said, why don't I go back home because she was visiting from the other side of the country because we lived in different places. I met her online and I'm going to go back home. And when you get your stuff fixed, whatever you need to do, then give me a call. She was honest and it was great that she was honest. She was straightforward. She was direct and it hurt like hell because here I was, I had just broken up from a very long-term relationship And now I'm thinking, great, I can have another relationship and start my life over again. 
Yet to me, what she's saying is, we're going to break up until you fix yourself. Uh, and when you do, you can give me a call. And what I'm hearing is, let's hope that I'm not in a relationship when you're better so that, you know, when you call, I don't have to say no to you. She didn't say that, but that's what I hear. That's how I'm interpreting it. So she said that, and I had to process it. And um, it hit me hard because here I was going through what seemed like another breakup. And I thought to myself, this, this can't be happening. Here I am again, and I have an opportunity to have a great relationship. And I'm messing it up. And what do I do now? And so it really hit me hard. And I think what happened, and I'm going to explain this sort of visually because I don't know internally how this happened. But visually, I picture what she said as sort of this emotional missile that she shot through me and through all this repressed emotion and pain and all this repressed negativity that I'd held on for years. And she hit me where I felt uh, a lot of pain and a lot of fear. It was like the, the words that she said and the moment that was unfolding before my eyes and ears was exploding inside of me as if she were able to penetrate the wall of depression that I had put up inside. And she was able to hit me at a very vulnerable place that I had never connected with. Never. And when she hit that place, this weird thought came up of how much I hated my stepfather. And I've told this story on the show before, but I started bawling my eyes out. I was crying like crazy, these tears. And I even started screaming, I hate him so much. And I fell to my knees and I was just crying in front of this person, this new person in my life. And it didn't even occur to me that this was embarrassing. It didn't occur to me that this was a sign of weakness. It, none of that stuff that me as a man would think, oh, gee, I don't want a woman to see me cry. None of that stuff happened. It was just total open and vulnerable expression. And so what she did was the only thing she could do. She said, oh, you know, I'm here for you. And she let me cry and let me scream and let me vent and get it out. Uh, and whatever that emotional missile did, it opened up a conduit between the outside world and the most vulnerable place inside of me. And like I said, I had not experienced this vulnerability or this level of vulnerability with anyone ever. And so when she said that, the conduit opened and it allowed me to get in touch with something so deep and so buried that um, it was the first moment that I started healing from depression. It was the first moment. Now, it didn't like heal. It just was the very first step toward healing because it took another two years to heal after that. But it, that event taught me that it was so important to access the most vulnerable place inside you if you're not experiencing a level of satisfaction or happiness in your life, because if something is buried in there and you don't feel either safe enough or you don't even know what's in there, if you don't access those vulnerable places, what ends up happening is you hold on to them and they stay in your life and you never experience the most satisfaction that you could possibly experience. You're limited. 
And when you're limited in that sense, then you walk around not being as happy as you could be. And so that day taught me a lot. It taught me that I have stuff to work on. It taught me that I had hatred for somebody that I never thought I did. In fact, I wasn't even aware that I had hate inside of me. I was always told that it's not right to hate. It's not good to hate. And after I allowed myself to not only feel it, but say it, it released so that I no longer held on to hate. And this is what happens when that conduit opens. You can release some of the stuff that you might be holding on to. And my point of telling you this is kind of twofold. And one of the points is she was comfortable enough in herself to speak her truth and be direct, even at the cost of the relationship. Meaning she was willing to put the relationship on the line to let me know what she was most comfortable with and what made sense for her. This is someone who got in touch with what's important to them, their boundaries and their values, someone who was not willing to necessarily compromise herself. And, you know, this is a a little gray area because sometimes we do that. Sometimes we compromise ourselves for the people that we care about, for the people that we love. We do that in small phases typically, but when you have somebody like when I was depressed and it was ongoing and day after day it went on and on and she didn't know how to handle it, she didn't know what to do. And I'm sure she didn't want to play the role of a shoulder to cry on and that's it because what ends up happening is that it becomes a one-sided relationship. One person always needs help, always is going through something, and the other person wants to move forward, but they can't because they don't have enough energy and enough motivation at that point because they're using a lot of energy on the person that they're with that constantly needs that attention. So, yeah, at that point, I probably needed more attention than I can even remember, but I'm sure I did. And I was also very clingy back then. I was very clingy and having her near me as my security blanket and being so dependent on her for my happiness, making her the source of my happiness, it drained her. And that's what happens with people. It drains them when you use them as your source of happiness or your source of therapy or coaching of just constant support. Yes, we can be there and we should be there for the people that we love to support them. But should it be a constant thing? Should it be a full-time job for the other person? Or should it be something more sustainable? Give and take is sustainable. Compromising here and there, little sacrifices here and there, is sustainable. But when someone is really down in the dumps and it's constant and the other person isn't in that place, but they feel like they can't continue to go on and enjoy life because their partner or somebody that they care about is down in the dumps all the time and is reaching out to them all the time, then it becomes a drain. And that's something we have to be careful with. And it's actually in this email I'm going to read you in a moment. But um, that was part of it. That was one part of it. My ex-wife was comfortable enough in herself to speak her truth and be direct even if it costs the relationship. And I think that's important. I've talked about this before, but when you're in a relationship and you have something that is bothering you, 
it can either stay inside of you and fester and continue to bother you, or you can bring it out, put it on the table, and have a discussion about it and see what happens. Healthy relationships with two supportive, loving partners are going to get through that. It's going to be a hard truth, something you have to deal with, and after you deal with it, the bond strengthens and the love grows and you move through it together. But if you never mention it, the person holding on to it can build resentment. And it's a silent resentment and it gets worse and worse because what ends up happening is the person holding on to it ends up lashing out in little destructive ways and then the other person blames them for lashing out and then they can't figure out why they're so mad and it just goes into a downward spiral and we don't want that. So that was number one. Number two reason or benefit for my ex-wife saying what she did to me that night was that she knew that my healing had to take place as part of my journey, not necessarily our journey. It's another gray area because we want to help. Typically, we want to help our loved ones heal. We want to help them grow through things. We want to get them to a better place so that we can enjoy life together. If it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a family relationship, we usually want to help the people we love. But does it come at the cost of the relationship? And my ex-wife was willing to say, you know, this relationship has to be put on hold so that you can heal. It, It has to be because what I feel is happening is you're bringing me down to your level. And she never said this, but I am definitely putting words in her mouth and definitely pretending to be her because when I pretend to be her, when I try her on, when I think about being with me at that time, it brings me way down. And I can't get out of that funk that I'm in. It's that state that has no energy and I just feel completely blah. And so if she was feeling that way, this high energy, happy, bubbly person that came into my life then, she now has to compromise who she is for an extended period of time until I heal. And imagine if she did that for two years, because that's how long it took me to heal. And it, you know, my depressive moments got less and less frequent, of course, but it still would have taken a long time from the beginning and it would have taken a toll on her had I not had that explosion that night. Because as soon as she said, why don't you fix your stuff and give me a call when you're ready? If she didn't say that, then the explosion wouldn't have happened, which led to the connection to my deepest, most vulnerable self, which allowed me to express myself and find some hate that had been in there for a long time. And all of this happened at once. But when that happened, the next day and the next day, I learned to express the deepest parts of myself. And that is just so important. When you express some of this deeper stuff that's way inside, I mean, sometimes it takes a while to find it, but when you find it and you express it and there's a lot of emotion connected to it, you're going to experience some release. If you have stuff inside of you that you have not expressed, you have not put on the table and you express it and there's an emotional connection with it and an emotional release with it, whether it's crying or screaming or whatever it is, you will become lighter and you'll experience more freedom than you did before. And it's going to be a a step in the healing direction. So that's what happened that night with her and I. And after that moment, she decided to stay because she finally saw the real me. 
she finally saw a connection that I made at such a deep level that I was no longer walking around smiling and faking it until I made it. There was no faking after that. There was just total transparency from me because when I felt it come up, I tried to express it. I tried to let her know and it was great to have a person in my life that saw through me. So there's that aspect of it too because when you have somebody that sees through you, they can help you identify this stuff. And of course, she was non-judgmental and she gave me that safe zone, that safe place to express myself, which allowed me to connect with that even more. But not everyone can do this. Not everyone can act as your counselor or your therapist. Some people don't have it in them to give to themselves and to you. And this is where I come into the email that I received today. And I'm just going to read you most of it here. This person gave me a lot of thanks for my show. She, she said a lot of stuff that, that was very nice. Thank you so much. And um, she's learned a lot. And she said, more recently, I was listening to episode 409. And I found that episode. It's called, Sometimes the Best Healing and Growth Takes Place Away from Other People. And so much resonated with me. The dysfunctional experiences of the writer on that episode mirrored my husband's relationship with his siblings and their attitudes and actions toward him. But along with that, the second email that you addressed in that episode from the recovering emotional abuser spoke volumes to my experience. Every detail and adjective you described concerning the victim of emotional abuse coming out and becoming free from it uh, fit my experience to a T. And I agree, while a relationship can recover from emotional abuse, especially after several years, it's desperately hard to overcome. My heart was nearly closed to wanting to resolve and continue our marriage, but with my husband's release to listen with his heart, not just his ears, our marriage today is the best it has ever been, and it's still healing and growing. And I communicated to him that I will never allow myself to succumb to such an experience ever again with him or anyone else for that matter. However, my question now is, how do I disassociate myself from that which continues to hold him back in life, his personal challenges, beliefs, and perceptions, etc., so that I can focus on moving forward even more to the next level of growth that I seek and desire for myself. Otherwise, I feel and have found that it comes across as if I don't care about what emotional and growth challenges that he's dealing with, to which then I appear selfish. Ultimately, with the personal growth that I've experienced and seek to accomplish, how do I disassociate while honoring myself and loving him where he is, but not allowing his emotional state to interfere or negatively influence my desired growth? I know you have many communications coming through, so perhaps you've addressed this topic in this respect previously and can provide a recap. In any event, thank you again for your TOB podcast, and please keep up the awesome work. (laughs) Thank you so much. She said that was amazing, too. Thank you so much for this message. It was very positive, and at the same time, it had a few very important questions. And um, to answer your first question about have I addressed this before, I might have. I don't recall this specific comment like when my partner or when somebody I care about is going through their emotional stuff, how do I stay disassociated or disconnected from them so that I don't get sucked into their, I'm going to use the word drama, 
uh, or I don't get sucked into any of their healing and growth because I want to make sure that I maintain my own level of healing and growth, but I don't want to appear selfish. I don't want to appear like I don't care or apathetic. I don't think I've addressed that specific issue. I might have talked about it in Love and Abuse over on my podcast over there, but I don't know if I've actually addressed it. So I think I'm going to address a few of your other comments first or questions. One of the things that you said is that a relationship can cover recover from emotional abuse, especially after several years, and it is desperately hard to overcome. A lot of relationships can't, and some relationships can. So yes, you're right. A relationship can recover from emotional abuse, especially after several years. Well, you know, several years can go by and it can still not recover. There, there can still be problems with that. And as you're experiencing, there are other problems. And this is what I talk about over at Love and Abuse and also in my Healed Being program, which is for emotional abusers that want to change. If you're interested in that, it's over at healedbeing.com. But I talk about this in the lessons where often when you heal from being the emotionally abusive person, it usually gets worse before it gets better. And then you have to deal with the aftermath after it gets better. (laughs) So there are two things that happen um, after the emotional abuse stops. The first thing that happens after you're experiencing a difficult relationship and the person finally gets, they, they finally understand that they've been hurting you and they are finally empathetic and they, they stop. They say, you know what, I'm so sorry for hurting you. I just realized I'm doing it and I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't know I was being emotionally abusive. And, you know, that was me all my life. I didn't know I was being emotionally abusive and I kept doing it. But when I finally learned how bad my behavior was and how toxic I was being and how much it hurt the person that I loved, I finally stopped. But my marriage didn't survive that. You know, after my emotional abuse stopped, her heart was already closed. So it didn't matter what I did. So that didn't necessarily save my relationship at all. But when the relationship continues, when the victim of emotional abuse, when their heart is still open, even just a tiny little bit, when there's still love in the relationship, there's often still a chance the relationship can heal and grow through it. The problem that happens is the part that gets worse is after the emotional abuse stops, the person that has experienced the emotional abuse for many, many months and years will often go into, it's not really a rebellion stage, it's more like a how dare you do this to me stage and I'm going to get you back. And this might not explain everyone, but this is how I see it is that there's a point where you can feel oppressed for years and years and years for so long that when the oppressor stops oppressing, you finally want to get back at them and said, this is what you did to me all these years. How dare you? you're a jerk, uh, you're mean, you're hurtful, and I'm going to make sure that you know it because you put me through hell. That is the part that gets worse, is that the victim starts to find their power again. They start to feel confident in themselves again. They start to feel good about themselves again. And then they realize how much suffering they experienced at the hands of somebody who was supposed to love them. 
So this is part one of the emotionally abusive relationship that starts to heal is it gets worse before it gets better. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen like this, but it can happen like this. Part two is the aftermath. The aftermath of that, let's just say that uh, the victim of emotional abuse finally gets it all off their chest and now the things are starting to settle and they're starting to work things out. At this point, the emotionally abusive person that has healed or is healing really wants to connect with the person they hurt because they love them and now they're treating them as the partner they've always wanted and they also want their support and their caring and a shoulder to cry on and everything that a partner going through a challenge would want. This aftermath, however, is a mixed bag because what ends up happening is the victim of emotional abuse is still healing and now they're growing and they're working on their own stuff but the emotionally abusive person is reaching out to them saying I love you I want to connect with you I'm so sorry and they mean it they really mean it and they really want to connect but after so many months or years of hurtful behavior it's very difficult for the victim of that hurt to want to connect and have enough energy to connect because they are rebuilding themselves. This is sort of what I want to say first to the person who wrote the letter is that you are still not only rebuilding yourself, but you feel like you're on the next level of your development, of your growth, and you want to keep going along that path because maybe you were in such a low place before and you've rediscovered yourself uh, or you've discovered a new you and like you said, I'm never going to let anyone do that to me again, which is very powerful. I mean, if you can say that, I will never, ever let anyone ever, I love that word, do that to me again, then you are in a place of personal power. That is drawing the line. That is setting a boundary. And you mean it. That is full congruence. And I believe it. <laughs> when you say it that way, I believe it. That was like when I was married, we were broke, we were going to the soup kitchen every day, and when we finally got out of that very low time of our life, and I finally started making an income, that's exactly what I said. I said, I will never, ever allow this to happen to me again. I know that I won't allow it. I'm not saying it won't happen. <laughs> so what we do is we draw these lines, we draw these boundaries, and we say it, and we feel it. And it feels good because we know that we'll never allow it again. And this is where she is. I will never allow this again. And that's a good place to be. And I think what is happening, or at least one of the things that might be happening, is that her husband's in this low place, reaching out during the aftermath. You know, he's stopped being hurtful. He's realized how much he's hurt this person. He's empathetic. And he's also needy, I think. In a loving way, you know, I, I need you because I want your support. I'm vulnerable, and it's nice to have somebody around to support you when you're vulnerable. So it's not necessarily needy in a dysfunctional way, but this is what happens is that, especially with an emotionally abusive person that heals, they get to a point where they have to rebuild their life too. They have to figure out what is next for them, how to act, how to change their old dysfunctional coping and survival mechanisms and turn them into healthier patterns, healthier 
reactions and responses so that they never go back to that place themselves. But what ends up happening is you have two different people on two different paths. So you got the emotional abuser that is healing and is changing and learning a lot about themselves. And then you have the victim that feels more confident and is moving into this new place in themselves. And these paths are divergent. They are going in two different directions. And so the person who has been oppressed all this time doesn't really want to go down into that space with them. I've already been there. That was me for many years. You know, I, I can imagine her saying this. I was in that space for many years. I felt disconnected from you. Where were you when I needed you? I've been there. I don't want to be there again. I'm in this great space where I feel good and I'm going in this direction. And every time I take a step in that direction, it feels really good. I feel like I'm doing the right thing and I'm happier and, and it's more motivating and inspiring to me. But when you bring me back to this place, it brings me right back to a person that I, I no longer am. And that's tough because during the aftermath, her husband wants to connect and wants to know that his partner is there when he needs her most, but her husband has to remember that his partner has gone through this for many months or years, probably years, and doesn't want to do it again, doesn't want to bring herself down to that space, has a lot of trouble connecting with where he is, emotionally speaking. And it sounds like he's very humble and vulnerable and probably trying to figure things out and feels very alone. Hopefully he can understand how alone she felt the whole time when he was being emotionally abusive. But this is often a required and necessary consequence of healing through an emotionally abusive relationship. The emotionally abusive person, or just a difficult person, even if they weren't emotionally abusive, they were just difficult and you had some relationship issues with them, when they've healed, when they've stopped being hurtful, they now need to go through a period of time when they're alone, not all the time, but you know their healing is taking place inside of them. Their focus needs to be about them for them, too. It needs to be on them because the emotionally abusive person has focused for way too long on the other person hoping to control or change them. But when the emotionally abusive person heals, now their focus needs to turn inward. And that's very difficult for that person because they've not been there. It's a very scary place where they feel alone and they don't know what to do. So to the person who wrote this email, I'm telling you this so you know where he is. I imagine that he's in this very scary, lonely place, has no idea what to do, and sometimes, maybe more than you want, he's looking for that shoulder to cry on or that partner to help support him through the tough times, but you're in this space where you don't want to go down there, and like you've asked uh, in your email, you asked, how do you disassociate while honoring yourself and loving him where he is? Well, you said the right words. You're loving him where he is, but not allowing his emotional state to interfere or negatively influence my desired growth. What I just explained can probably help you at least articulate into words where you are to him and help you both. And maybe if he listens to this podcast episode as well, you can both understand where each other are 
in the process. If he is listening to this now, you're in that rebuilding state just like she is. You're in that vulnerable, lonely place, and it's totally understandable that you'd want somebody to be there with you. But often, often part of the healing journey for the former emotional abuser is doing a lot of it on your own. And that, I don't even like to tell you that. I don't even like to say that because that's the scariest prospect for some people. But when you do it on your own, what ends up happening is that you're not influenced by anyone else in your life, especially the person that used to be the victim to your behavior. If you're not influenced by them, if they aren't involved in so much of your healing and growth, if you're journaling, meditating, seeing a counselor, joining the Healed Being program, whatever you're doing, whatever's working for you, that is your path. And here's the good news about this. The good news is Well, let me give you the bad news first. The bad news is the more you reach out to your wife, the more compelled she may feel to move away from you. And let me explain this, but I'm going to repeat it first. The more you reach out to her for support, the more you rely on her for that emotional connection, the more needy you appear and you feel to her, the more you'll probably push her away. And the only reason I say that is because the emotionally abusive person has already focused so much on the other person that the other person spends all their time thinking about what the emotional abuser is going to do next. And that connection needs to be severed for a while. Not forever. I mean, not in all cases, but in some cases that connection needs to sever for a while because there's too much influence on both sides. And the reason that connection has to sever for a while sometimes is that she needs to feel that you are improving on your own for yourself, not for her, for yourself. Even though that may be true, you may say, what is for me? It is absolutely for me. I need to do this whether she's in my life or not. And I hope that's what you're saying. I hope that's what you feel because that needs to be true. You need to do this for you. And she needs to do this for her because you are both rebuilding yourself You're not rebuilding us. You're not rebuilding the relationship. You're not there yet. This is where she is. She's not ready to rebuild the relationship. She doesn't want to lose it. She's still with you and she said this is the best it's ever been. But this isn't the rebuilding of the relationship phase. This is the rebuilding of yourselves. When you stop being hurtful, you have to replace that behavior. You have to figure out what's going on in your life that created that behavior in the first place. Or if you don't figure it out, just changing the behavior and becoming comfortable in your new skin and trying to figure out what the best way to respond to things is and developing new coping mechanisms. All of this is inside of you, about you, and needs to be rebuilt inside of you for you. If it's not for you and it's for someone else, then what ends up happening is when that someone else isn't in the picture, you go back to who you were. That's something we definitely don't want. And you may not believe that's true. You may not believe that it's true that you go back to the way you were because maybe you've done a lot of work on yourself. So this is the bad news is the more you reach out for her, for support, for connection, the more it might push her away. Now the good news. The good news is when you work on yourself and you become 
a better version of yourself, even in tiny increments every single day, the more you do that, the more attractive you get. And attraction has a lot of meaning here, but you know what I mean, because attraction is what needs to be there. And I'm not talking about physical attraction. I'm talking about emotional attraction, mental, psychological, and even physical is in there too. But physical is kind of a secondary thing, but I don't include that with this. What I'm talking about is when you're in a space that you feel good about yourself, you are more confident in yourself, you carry yourself well, you feel good in your own skin, you're comfortable and you're doing things for yourself and you're even standing up for yourself, you're honoring your personal boundaries, you're damn attractive. That's what happens. You become attractive. You become more likable, more lovable, more respectable, more admirable. And some of these are egoistic words, but it doesn't matter. This is what happens is that the more you do that for you in you, the more attractive you become from the people that care about you and the people you care about. This is good news. The more you work on yourself, the more the relationship will rebuild itself. But that has to happen as a secondary thing. Don't work on this as a relationship. Work on you for you. And let me give you another piece of good news. It doesn't mean you can't use her as motivation to change because it's something to look forward to. You know, if you are changing inside of you and you know it affects her positively without you reaching out all the time. And I'm not saying you should never reach out. I mean, I'm sure she'd be open to every now and then. But maybe it's a little too frequent right now. And it's important that you are self-focused. And of course, she may want once a week or once a month. I don't know. But what ends up happening is the more you focus on yourself and the more you improve yourself, the more attractive you become to her. Because the emotional abuser is often outer focused on other people that they want to change or control. But when they heal, they should become inner focused on how to change themselves and heal themselves and grow into a new person and improve themselves in all these ways so that the other person doesn't think that their focus is on them anymore. When they know the focus is off of them and the focus is inside of you, they will no longer sense the pressure that is sometimes felt because that can happen. Like you can put a lot of pressure on someone to be there for you when they themselves are still trying to rebuild themselves. Even if they're at a hundred levels ahead of you, you know, they've leveled up a hundred times and they're at this high place, but she still wants to be in the relationship. So that tells you a lot. And it doesn't mean you have to catch up to her. It just means you have to get to a place in yourself where some of that neediness is gone and there's more confidence taking place and assurity in yourself. And when you get to that space and it's real, you feel it and you're walking around comfortable in your own skin. I think this is what's going to change everything. And um, I know that the person who wrote is like, uh, how do I disassociate? Well, I can't give you that answer. I can only give him that answer because I, th- I think he is the one that has to do the work here. You have to do the work too, but I think as he does what I just suggested, you're going to feel more free to be yourself and even more free to reach out to him. Because as you see him doing the work and you sense his changes and you see his changes and you see him just being uh, happy and independent and feeling good about himself, like I said, it's going to be attractive to you 
and you're going to want to see more of that and it may even compel you to want to be with him more not that you don't want to be with him but where you are now it may be repelling it may be a little too much it may be too much of an energy drain and you don't want to go into that space you don't want to take a step down into that space that he might be in not that you don't want to be helpful not that you aren't loving him it's just that sometimes it does feel like you're getting sucked into a space that maybe is part of your new boundary of I will never go there again because that definitely could be playing out but I hope you are taking what I said the way I meant it (laughs) both of you if you're listening I hope you're both taking what I said the way I meant it because you're both on such a good path and to support each other on each other's paths is my definition of love. You're supporting someone else's happiness. You're supporting the path that makes them happy. Even though he's on this path that doesn't necessarily make him happy, but he's going to discover that happiness as he works on himself and improves himself. And, you know, I have episodes on working on your self-worth and self-esteem, growing your confidence. I definitely recommend listening to my episodes on ego. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, type in the word ego, and you will find some episodes. And they're not like the typical stuff you hear on ego. They're actually ways to build a healthy ego and build your confidence and build your self-worth. And all of this is in many of my past episodes and they're going to be very helpful on your healing journey. So I don't know if I answered your question directly about disassociation, but I hope I gave you both enough, or at least you, the person who wrote, enough to have a conversation about this that makes you feel good, that helps you articulate what you're looking for. You know, if you're in that space, I'm only assuming you're in this space, and if you're not, maybe it gave you some food for thought, but thank you so much for writing and Thanks for joining me for another episode. We are at the end of this episode. I'm going to say my thank yous and goodbyes right after this quick musical interlude, and I will say my final words as well. Be right back after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. If you caught it earlier, I was talking about the Healed Being program over at HealedBeing.com. That program is very near and dear to me. You're going to receive multiple lessons on what to do to heal from being the emotionally abusive person. And if you don't think you're emotionally abusive, all you have to do is listen to a few episodes of Love and Abuse over at LoveAndAbuse.com. And... um, You'll find an episode over there asking if you are the emotionally abusive one or are you the manipulative one because sometimes we do behaviors and we don't know we're doing them. I spent many, many years as an adult in adult relationships not knowing I was hurtful or emotionally abusive, but I found out I was. And when I found out, yikes, I didn't want to be that person. I don't want to be called an abuser. I don't want to be that person. And I worked very hard to get out of that. And that's what I share over at HealedBeing.com. The steps, the processes, everything you need to do to become a better person inside of yourself. So if you're an emotionally abusive person or a hurtful person that wants to change that behavior, head over to HealedBeing.com. And I want to thank our financial backers this week. These are the patrons of the week. They're Anita, Chris, 
James, Kathleen, Victoria, Tracy, Anne-Marie, Eric, Christy. I appreciate all of you. And we have three new people this week. I am so glad to see John, Wanda, and Meg. So awesome to see your names come through and your support is amazing. I am grateful that you joined. I am grateful that you are supporting the show and my heart is warm. Thank you so much because it means a lot to me and um, you are all very generous. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, new patrons and the existing patrons and anyone that supports this show. I appreciate all of you. And if you find value in the show and you'd like to give back, visit moretob.com. And one last thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And for my final words, you know, I know that I have a separate podcast on emotional abuse. And as I was creating this episode, I thought, wow, I'm talking a lot about emotional abuse lately. And I realized that um, emotional abuse is one of those buckets that we can put everything in, you know. Oh, someone gave me the silent treatment. Emotional abuse. Someone's yelling at me at home. Emotional abuse. And uh, it can be any and all of that. And I try to remember that um, sometimes we can throw a lot of behaviors into the emotional abuse bucket. And I think we have to be careful with that. I've said this over at Love and Abuse a couple times. I think we have to be careful to tell someone that they are emotionally abusive, um, if they are narcissistic, if they are a sociopath. (laughs) I mean, unless you know for sure, uh, then maybe that would be a good idea. But as I've stated on previous episodes, it's very important to understand the specific behavior someone does around you. Don't just call it emotional abuse. Don't put it in a big bucket. Like if you say, you lie all the time, that is a big bucket. If you say, uh, you're manipulating me all the time, you're always trying to control me, that bucket's too big. You can't connect with that bucket, or at least a lot of people can't connect with that bucket. And the people that are doing it, all they have to say is, no, I don't, and that covers the whole bucket. <laughs> so that that's probably not a good way to have a conversation. I think if you're going to have a conversation with somebody or something that turns into an argument or something that you need to discuss, when you put it all on the table, it's best not to put it on the table as a big bucket. This is everything you do to me. This is the bucket of everything that you do to me. And I am accusing you of it right now. All they have to say is, no, I don't. I don't do that. That's not true. And that covers everything in the bucket. This is why it's important not to put everything in a bucket and cite specific behaviors. No matter what the behavior it is, emotionally abusive behavior, lying, cheating, stealing, just being a jerk, an overall jerk, it's better to say, when you stole my stapler off the desk, it made me angry because you didn't value what I value. And I'm not saying you have to use those words. I'm saying I am citing a very specific event, a very specific behavior that I disagree with or I am angry about, and I'm going to talk about that very specific thing, and I'm going to try to get closure on it. This is another thing. So you have A, the bucket, and I'm telling you not to use the bucket. You always steal things off my desk. That's a bucket. But if you say, you stole that stapler, that made me angry, it felt disrespectful, And now you can put the bucket there by saying, and I need to know that you're never going to steal from me again. That's when the bucket's useful. 
not during the accusation phase, but during the commitment phase. I need you to commit to me that you will never steal from me again. I need your commitment. That's a good time to use the bucket. I'm just thinking of this now. This is a good way to remember it. When you need to accuse someone or blame someone, and accuse is harsh, but when you need to address an event with somebody that upset you in some way, address something very specific because they need to answer to that specific thing. When you ask for a commitment toward or about something, then you bring out the bucket. Will you commit to never doing that again? And the closure part on both sides is when you address the behavior, you're looking for some sort of closure. Like, you stole the stapler off my desk. That made me angry. It's very disrespectful. Why would you do something like that? And you're looking for closure. You're not looking for, I don't know. You really want to know. You know, I don't know is not good enough. I need to know why you stole it off my desk. And maybe they'll give you the answer, maybe not. But what you're doing is you're putting them in the spotlight and letting them know this is unacceptable. If you do it again, it'll be a big problem. But we're not at the bucket yet. What we're looking for now is closure. Well, I I stole it because I, I didn't want to buy my own stapler. Okay, so now you know the reason. It's not a good reason, but you know the reason. And you might even follow it up and say, you know, when you do that, it hurts me. Do you realize, this is one of my favorite questions, do you realize when you do that, it hurts me? Hopefully they say, I didn't even think about it. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I just, I needed a stapler and I, I do that sometimes. I'm stupid. I don't, you know, whatever they say. Or maybe they say, well, whatever. <laughs> then you know who you're dealing with. But what you're looking for is some sort of closing statement. If they say whatever and they're flippant, you know who they are. And you know that they'll probably do it again. And now you know who you're dealing with. If they say, I'm so sorry, you know, that'll never happen again. I, I can't believe I did it. I'm stupid. It's still some closure. You may not trust them that they'll never do it again, but it's still some level of closure. Then you feel a little bit better inside because at least you talk to them about it. But then you get to the commitment part. Will you commit to never stealing from me again? You know, say that in your own words. If they say, yes, I will never steal from you again. That was stupid. I'll never do it again. Now you have closure on that as well. If they say, well, I I don't know. I mean, I might need a stapler again. If they say anything like that, it's not closure. And if you don't get closure, now you have unfinished business inside your head. And now you're walking around not knowing if it's going to happen again. I'm using the stapler as an example apply it to anything in your life, in relationships, in whatever part of life you want to apply it to. Maybe somebody lied to you at home. Will you commit to not lying to me anymore? Because this can't happen in this relationship. You can't lie to me. We have to have open communication. There cannot be lies between us. Absolutely, I'll never lie again. I I was stupid and and I promise it'll never happen. You may not believe them, but at least you got a closing statement, something that sounds pretty absolute. So the third part of this is the accountability. When someone commits to something, you have to hold them accountable if they violate that commitment, if they break the contract. So when they break that contract, what are you going to do? You stole my stapler again. 
I told you that was unacceptable. You know the consequences. Oh, please don't do that. Please don't do it. Please. And then you do it. <laughs> Whatever that is. The consequence might be telling the boss. I told you if you stole it again, I was going to tell the boss. So I'm going to tell the boss. And then they might try to guilt you. Oh, you're such a snitch. I can't believe I work with a snitch. And you might have to ignore them because if you don't administer the consequence, the behavior will very likely be repeated. And they'll know that they can get away with anything with you. Same thing with um, the person who's lying. If you ever lie to me again, this relationship is over. That's a big consequence. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to do this, but if you ever lie to me again, this relationship is over, or I'm going to stay at my mom's for a week or at my sister's. Lies cannot exist in this relationship. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it again. And you got to promise me it'll never happen, which is an interesting proposal for a liar. <laughs> promise me, the person who lies, that you'll never lie to me again. That is interesting. We'll see what happens there. But you have to have accountability if they do. So if you catch them in a lie and you say, well, if you lie to me again, I'm leaving for a week or I won't talk to you for a week, then you do it. You follow through. You make it happen, no matter how hard it is, because they need to know you're serious. As soon as you let up, you know, it wasn't a week, it was six days, you called and you said, oh, I couldn't wait a week, I, I missed you so much, you've lost all credibility and they will likely do it again. They may not, but I would bet that because you caved in, they'll probably do it again because the consequence wasn't administered, or at least fully in this example. So my point is, don't put everything into a bucket. Cite specific behaviors that you can single out and get some closure on. Then bring the bucket in when it comes to the commitment. And then mention the consequence or the accountability and be serious about it. If you are able to follow through with that, you will have much better relationships because you will find that your toleration level is much lower for those who don't value what you value. And you end up with higher quality relationships in all areas of life. That's my theory and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. So glad you are here. Remember to always keep an open mind so that you can step into your power and that helps you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Yeah.